Welcome to Tax Today, a Vertex podcast series. Words of wisdom from industry professionals to help you transform tax. Each week, we hold enlightening discussions with tax, IT, and procurement specialists focused on shaping tax in the procure-to-pay process. Hi, I'm Kristen Schaubenbauer. Welcome to Tax Today, a Vertex podcast series. On today's episode, we'll be exploring differences in tax and procurement, U.S. versus global, with Mike Bernard and Peter Bauerhoff, both from our Chief Taxation Office. Thank you both for joining us again. Yeah, thank you, Kristen. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Kristen. So I know last session we um, discussed some of the critical, you know, issues of, of why indirect tax and procurement is 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 so important and why why people need to be talking about it. So um, to to take that a step further, what we wanted to talk about today was first, um, you know, some of the attributes or, or what are the essential differences between sales and use tax. And VAT. So, Mike, could could you could you talk to us a little bit about that from from a U.S. perspective? Sure, Kristen. Um, I think there's several differences between the U.S. and probably the VAT system. I'd say I'd point out three of them. I'd say the first thing is is that just the granularity of the U.S. system is much uh, deeper than say maybe you might uh, see in the VAT system. Where and what I mean by that is granularity in terms of of jurisdictions. So you would have a state a county, a city, you might even have a local sales and use tax. And normally in the VAT system, you wouldn't see that. You might just see a country uh, rate. Uh, the second thing is a lot of times in the U.S. system, um, it can be exempt or it can be taxed differently based upon the use of that. So if something goes into a product and it's uh, you're not the ultimate consumer of it, then obviously it doesn't get taxed. That's a That's a big difference. And then lastly, the status of who the person purchases it. So if you have an exempt organization, a school or a nonprofit, and they they purchase something, then that could also be exempt from tax. And the reason that's all important is because when auditors come in, at least from states, one of the first things they look at is to see and look at the exemptions you claim, not always necessarily the tax you collected on the taxable items, but what what you're claiming as exempt. Yeah, I tend to agree with that um, to a great extent indeed, Mike. Um, with respect to granularity, um, we, we typically have one or a few rates per country, although we have some uh, specials like, for example, Greece with their islands or Spain with specific rates for islands, but it's f- way less granular than in the US. And we also have a few exemptions um, but that's mainly related to, um, for example, supplies to international organizations like NATO. And if you look at the, to me, the, the real specific for a VAT system versus the US system is that VAT is all about deduction of input VAT. In uh, business-to-business transactions, a vendor normally charges VAT on an invoice, and this VAT is deducted as input VAT by the buyer. And ultimately, for the final consumer, VAT is not deductible and becomes a cost. And this is really crucial um, and, and, and typical for a VAT system. That's interesting. That, I mean, you know, that makes it makes a lot of sense when you when you spell it out. So let me let me understand this too and, and, and pivot a little bit here. With regards to how you receive the invoice, is is does that cause any you know is paper versus digital? I know things things are getting automated from that perspective. Does that, Mike, you know, give us any challenges or opportunities? 
Uh, I think it does. I mean, I, I ultimately what that invoice has to be has to do is it has to be tied back to some purchase order. Uh, so that's one of the controls that has to be applied to it. And if it's entered into a say a system that is owned by the purchaser and it's and so then it becomes essentially a digital invoice, then there's tools that are out there that actually kind of can review that invoice uh, tied to a PO and then and then properly pay it or not properly or not pay it. If it comes in as a paper invoice, there are systems out there today that can read it, read it digitally. Uh, there's a and yet there's still some uh, human review of those invoices. So it does kind of determine which way it comes in as to how quickly it can be processed. But ultimately, the idea is to is to make that review of it more and more uh, digital. And Peter, I don't know what you're seeing. Um, what what your, what your experience has been? Yeah, it's about uh, it's about the same. I would say that um, the the key benefit from let's say moving to digital invoicing is uh, efficiency, and tax actually I believe is still a bottleneck um, in in this overall process because both paper and digital require quite often still um, manual assignment of tax codes in the ERP system in order to have it processed correctly. And um, yeah, for many, the difference will not be that big because if you have uh, a paper invoice, quite often this invoice is uh, scanned and OCR is applied. And effectively the AP clerk, whether it's a digital invoice or a paper invoice will always look on uh, on the screen to kind of an image of this invoice, either scanned or rendered. Um, I have, of course, also seen uh, scenarios where businesses have tried or wanted to implement a system where the allocation of tax codes indeed was actually based on PO information. But this is actually also quite tricky because a vendor may decide to deviate from a PO and not with respect to products or dates of delivery, but he may decide to deliver a, a specific product, not from a local stock point, but for example, from a stock point abroad. And then the invoice looks completely different. Yeah, that's a challenge. That that really is. And, and it really, you know, what you're saying really makes sense, Peter and Mike as well. I think the tax, you know, as, as procurement professionals are trying to really automate and get best practices in and gain efficiencies, tax has got to be a bottleneck. Um, and never mind, you know, does it bring down the, the process and, and you, you're still having AP really handhold these invoices um, to get them processed. But who knows if you're you're accurately, you know, calculating the right tax or being charged, I should say, being charged the right tax. Um, which affects everything. So, you know, I'm not even sure in, in some of these processes are, are, are folks thinking about tax? Are they just accepting that, you know, oh, your supplier is, is charging everything correctly? Um, and I think that's where some of the confusion is really and where the learning is possible here, where, you know, we really need to elevate, you know, tax. Um, so, Mike, if, as, as far as this is concerned, are you, are you seeing any trends here? I, I'm kind of picking up on, on some, but are you seeing any, any trends to where, you know, where we might be going um, with all of this? Yeah, I think first of all, there was the idea of applying tax to AP invoices. Um, 
that idea probably, if you if you step back about 15 years ago, at least in the U.S., uh, for a lot of global companies here, there was a rush to kind of outsource that um, function into into service centers, uh, and so out and so these would have been third parties who actually pay the invoices. Uh, actually, you know, they might have to apply the tax; they may not have to, but ultimately, the invoice gets paid. And the reason that outsourcing occurred is that a lot of companies thought that there was higher value added uh, activities that that company employees could be uh, engaged in. Um, And what we saw a lot of was we saw a lot of people doing management reporting. We saw a lot of people even outsourcing statutory reporting. So so these functions kind of left the company. And then eventually what happened was what we saw that a lot of for the payment processors – that turnover was high. It was difficult to get the data out for audits, uh, and there was there was some competency lost in that in that whole process. And so, eventually, what we saw is a lot of those functions came back, were insourced into companies. And one of the big reasons was is that the experience got better, and obviously, the tools and the automation became much more uh, stronger than it, say, had been in the previous 10 years. And so they learned a lot by outsourcing, but then bringing it back in was was a very beneficial uh, thing for companies. Uh, I'm sure, Peter, you, you, you've you seen some things, maybe not as stark as those differences, but I, I'm, I'm assuming in Europe you've seen some of those things as well. Yeah, completely agree, Mike. Um, although we're, I would almost say, lagging behind uh, a bit in this in this process it's always kind of waves that you see and um, uh, centralizing of of ap and other finance functions in shared service centers um, is already quite common for for a few years here in 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 europe and the eu as well and also outsourcing of ap activities to third parties is um, yeah i would say almost a trend uh, nowadays amongst others for labor arbitration uh, purposes. So it's not unrealistic to have an outsourced AP department in a location like, for example, India. And then one of the key challenges is that um, the function actually is quite remote from your day-to-day business activities and also from your VAT regulations. And then the usage of the goods um, how they are used in your business is less known by the AP processors and also what are exactly the correct invoice requirements and the correct rates is sometimes uh, sometimes a challenge. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, can, I can see where that would just be, make it near next to impossible. I mean, you know, if you outsource, you're, you are really giving up all control and, you know, how, how do you get it right? How, how, and how do you get that information back? I mean, that, that all makes, makes a lot of sense. And I think that feeds into some of the trends that we're seeing with, um, you know, the best of breeds of procurement providers growing and expanding um, because people are starting to bring that back potentially in, in house. And, and as I've always said, you know, Tax touches everything, and you know everyone purchases glo- purchases globally for the for the most part. Your your mid sized to, to large companies. I mean, you're going to purchase globally, so you're going to have you're going to face these these challenges because if you're in business, whether you have to deal with um, you know VAT on the customer side or sales tax on the U.S. side, you know it's it's just more complicated. Um, and everyone everyone purchases for their business, whether you know whether your your sales are taxable or not. So that makes a lot of sense. And it, it seems to me that what I'm seeing is that if you can't have 
touchless AP without touchless tax. I mean, you really need to have tax right alongside the touchless AP. And, and that seems to be something that I think people are starting to, to really wake up to. So Mike, that, that brings me to um, the, our final question is, does that trigger a desire to further automate tax? It, it really does. I mean, what we've seen in some of our customers is, for example, we had a customer that won one of our uh, technology and achievement awards last year where they actually took uh, royalties that were, um, these were software licenses that were deployed upon different places in the U.S. and globally and actually automated that system because in, so- because in a lot of places, Softwares, uh, softwares can be purchased without paying any sales tax. It may be subject to certain VAT rules as well. But, but I think what we were starting to see, particularly in the procurement space, is those kinds of achievements. And I think in AP, it's the same thing because when you actually pay the invoice, uh, that has to be automated as well, simply because of the volumes and simply because what Peter had mentioned earlier about there still is a manual process involved there. So one of the things that, uh, and as we mentioned in the in the first webcast, was the idea of governance and that there's an expectation that invoices, procurement, tax, all of these functions are actually going to be working together to not just buy uh, goods and services and to pay the bills, but that along with that, the tax is a key component to, to this entire process. And that it, there's an expectation from a governance perspective, uh, from a board perspective, to actually get these things right. And so these, all of these functions have to really work together. And it really speaks to having an automated tax engine that can, that can really where you can take a lot of these transactions and bump up against them. And I'm sure, Peter, you've you may have seen some other things in 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 your in your world as well. Yeah, I, I would say it's not even other things, Mike. It's pretty pretty like uh, what you said. Um, the requirement to get things right at first instance already um, is is one of the things that's also becoming increasingly crucial in EU and Europe as well, but also in LATAM and, and APEC. And that has to do with, let's say, the data intensity of your communication with the tax administrations um, in the form of, for example, real-time reporting. And in the, the AP process, the manual tax coding is, in my view, one of the key blockers for a real touchless AP. And also manual tax coding is one of the key headaches of many VAT managers. So I would definitely say that if you want to go that route or are forced to go that route because of um, reporting requirements, I would say it's it's inevitable to um, also include automation of tax in this process. So I think we're aligned in this uh, in this respect. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. Yeah, that it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you you know, essentially. Get rid of the the cheat sheets. Get rid of asking tax to to help you every single time. Um, you know, no manual tax coding, and, and try to process to automate. You know, as much of this as as, as possible, um, so that you can you know let tax own tax. I think that automation really is key for this, right? So instead of um, burdening your AP clerks or your AP professionals with having to manage all of this. Um, you know, and let the tax folks make ultimately make the decisions and they have control over things, which is a lot of what we have seen, 
you know, 20, 25 years ago when with, with sales tax for the U.S. is you didn't want your sales reps making those decisions, right? You want your, your tax people making those decisions. And you, 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 in order to do that, automation is, is absolutely key. That'll do it for today's show. I'd like to thank uh, Mike and, and Peter for joining me. And thanks to our listeners. Make sure you tune in for our next episode when we'll be discussing indirect tax and procurement landscape opportunities and challenges in the U.S. with Tiffany O'Neill. Subscribe to Tax Today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review. To learn more about optimizing tax and procurement, visit vertexinc.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-I-N-C.com. And connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Facebook.